Great. There we go. Now we're live. Okay. I was talking and nothing was moving. I'm glad I caught that. Or would have been live for an hour with no sound. Okay. All right. Uh, Book of Romans. You know where we are. Book of Romans. We're going to, I'm going to change things up a little bit this morning. We'll do just kind of, uh, I was going to go a little bit more in depth with our review, but, um, we're going we're gonna to change all of that up. So let me grab my notes here on the iPad. All right, Book of Romans, we are in Chapter 3. Book of Romans, Chapter 3. And if you remember in Romans, Chapter 3, starting in verse 9, verse 9 to verse 18. Uh, Romans, Chapter 3, verse 9 through 18. Let's just read it really quick for uh, review's sake. Romans, Chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. What then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are all under what? Sin. All right? So it's already been proven that everyone's under sin, Jew and Gentile, we're all in trouble. But now uh, Paul goes into great, uh, great detail to show us how bad this situation is. All right? And what does he demonstrate? As it is written, there is none righteous... How many are righteous? None. In fact, how many? Not one. Not one. There's not one righteous. No one is righteous. There is none that does what? Understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. No one understands. No one seeks God. Right? That's emphatic. It is dogmatic. They are all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Please remember he's pulling from the Old Testament to teach this. So it's not a New Testament teaching. It's an Old Testament teaching as well. It's a Bible teaching that everyone is a sinner. How do, and it goes on to describe their, this sinfulness. And it, it begins to talk, uh, d- deal with a lot of issues. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongue. They have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their way, and the way of peace they have not known. All right? Um, And uh, verse 18, there is what? No fear of God before their eyes. In other words, they don't even consider, there's no concern with God or fear with God as they live their daily life. They don't care... um, and they're not worried about God in any way, shape, or form. It really, it really describes, uh, not only you can say it describes our, our current world, but it describes all of us. Because we're all in that same, we all have that same mentality, we all have that same problem. And that, that's, where, that's how we operate and that's how we conduct ourselves. So, based off what we just saw right there, we can draw some basic conclusions, right? That the doctrine of depravity, in fact, I wrote down some, some notes if I uh, have them here. Um, give me a second. Yes, I put it down this way. The reality of our depravity shows we are helpless to save ourselves. The reality of depravity shows that we are helpless to save ourselves. Based off that text, we're, we're helpless, right? 
I mean, there's, there's nothing we can do. We cannot save ourselves. We are depraved, and, and that depravity impacts our mind. It Im- impacts our, our desires. It impacts our will. It impacts uh, every, our, everything. Uh, our mouth, everything is impacted by our depravity. So depravity, the reality of depravity shows that we are helpless to save ourselves. Number two, depravity makes it impossible for what to save us? Well, keep reading. Right there, uh, verse nineteen. Now we know that these things, soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, verse twenty, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The, uh, depravity makes it impossible for the law to save us. Depravity makes it impossible for the law to save us. Right? Everybody got this? Number one, the reality of depravity shows what? We're helpless to save ourselves. Number two, depravity does what? Makes it impossible for the law to save us. Right? And then, this is very important, you can go ahead and write down this. Justification then must be accomplished by something outside of ourselves. Justification must be accomplished by something outside of ourselves. Something from outside is going to have to save us because inside is what? Depraved. Sin. Guilt. Shame. We can't do it. So something from outside of us is going to have to help us. The whole world is guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no man be justified. Does everybody see that? Is that pretty straightforward and clear? All right, again... Romans 3.20, make sure you have that down. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is what? What does law bring? What does law bring? What does law bring? Knowledge of our sin. It simply shows us the problem. It can't save us. And the reason it can't save us is because all it does is show us that we're sinners. I mean, this is pretty straightforward. I, there, I know that there's lots of debate throughout church history over it, but I think this is pretty straightforward. So, what do we need to do? Well, that brings us to verse 21. And verse 21 begins with, but. Right? Now, typically when you see that, that does what? Negates everything that just came before it. Right? Hey, the, everything that came before it leaves us in what kind of state? Well, how can I be saved? I can't save myself. The law can't save me. Uh, all right, I'm going home. And all of it says, but. And then what, what, what news are we told about in verse 21? The righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Somehow God's righteousness is manifested. It shows up, but apart from the law. Typically, we say the law does what? Manifest God's righteousness. Yes? It shows it. So, somehow, this is a, the righteousness of God is going to show up. It's being manifested, not with the law. And this starts raising all kinds of questions. Well, how? How is God's righteousness going to be shown without the law? How's it going to be manifest? What is this talking about? Then we got into um, a discussion about three words. Everybody remember the three words? Well, let's read them and see if you can identify them. 
All right, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Now, we, we kind of see how the righteousness shows up. It shows up by what? By faith on whom? Okay, uh, by the faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. The righteousness of God shows up on them who believe. So, now, wait, how do I get this righteousness if it's apart from the law? Now, this starts raising lots of questions about salvation. Then we started talking about these three words. I'm not, I, I know I'm going quickly through these, but, all right, well, we have no, I mean, we've got to move on. We could spend years here, but, all right. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's, re, it's emphasizing, again, our guilt, right? Even though we've all sinned, even though we've all come short of the glory of God, God's righteousness is still manifested on those of us who Believe by faith. Okay, that seems hard to understand. And now it's going to explain. Remember, this is justification explained. And then what's the first word we see here? Being justified freely by his grace. Stop right there. We looked at the word justification, did we not? Look at your notes. Remember, we looked at three words that explain the doctrine of justification. And the first word we have, I know we didn't do them in this order, but that's okay. We have the word justification, or, or justified. Hey, does everybody remember the uh, Greek word? Yeah, dekaio, right? Dekaio, all right? And um, what, what, does, uh, what did it mean? To render righteous? To declare, pronounce one to be just righteous as such as he ought to be. So what's the idea here? And Deca Io, the idea is to declare one righteous, right? To pronounce one as being righteous. It doesn't mean that one is, it means one is being declared or pronounced righteous. So this idea of justification, how are we justified? Somehow we are declared to be righteous. And remember, we talked about the word. Um, it's used, what, 40 times? Um, it's used justify, be freed, be righteous, or justifier. All right? It's to render, show, regard, just or innocent, freely, to be righteous. All right? And we talked about that word. Everybody remember that? Okay. And that, that's the key word in everything, right? That's, make sure this, is, this whole section is trying to explain justification to us. So to, to simply put it, justification is somehow an act of God in which he declares you to be righteous. And this righteousness comes by faith, not by the law. So how is God's righteousness manifested? It's manifested on those who believe who are declared to be just, declared to be righteous, declared to be innocent. Are they truly righteous? Not in and of themselves. Are they innocent in and of themselves? No, because the text has already said that we're all what? Guilty before God. And this happens apart from the law. This means I'm not doing good, and then I'm declared righteous. No, I'm not doing anything, and I'm declared righteous. The only thing that's come up is faith. Everybody got that? All right, let's continue reading. What was the second word? being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right? Redemption, 
or to redeem. Everybody remember this word? I can go all the way up in my notes. Redemption, all right? What is the Greek word? Apolutrisis, right? Everybody remember that? Apolutrisis. And what did this word mean? There we go. A releasing affected by payment of ransom, redemption, deliverance, liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. To be redeemed means we have been redeemed because someone paid a ransom price to purchase us, to buy us back. And who paid that price? Jesus Christ. He purchased that, and we believe that that payment doesn't go to Satan, as somehow some people believe, that it would go to God, because who, who are we guilty before? God. Who has to be satisfied? God. And who's the only one who can satisfy God? God. Right? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. The only one who can satisfy God's righteous demands is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? One God, three distinct persons. Right? We won't get into the whole doctrine of the Trinity. All right, there's redemption. Everybody got that? Right? And then we had one last word. Let's go, uh, we'll read verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That tells us who, who accomplished the redemption. It's found in Christ Jesus. Right? So we are justified freely. Right? I, I, isn't that good news? We are justified freely. We are redeemed. Verse 25. Whom God, that's referring to Christ, hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. All right? Now, what's the word propitiation? All right, yeah. Helostadion. Yeah, helostadion. All right? And what did it mean? Appeasement. Appeasement. Is that a good way? It's also used to describe what? The cover of the Ark of the Covenant. All right? But it's to appease. Right? And it's used two times. Uh, that Greek word is used two times. It's used once as propitiation, and it's translated once mercy seat in the book of Hebrews. What is the idea about propitiation? Christ satisfies God's wrath. All right? It satisfies. It covers. All right? It appeases. Now, please note, uh, because, and I did a recording on this because I got 9,000 emails. Wait a minute. Uh, propitiation doesn't just show up two times. The Greek word we were looking at is used two times. The other uh, Greek word is helasimos, and it is found, it is used in 1 John 2 2 and 1 John 4 10. And it means the same thing an appeasing, uh, the means of appeasing a propitiation. All right? And I did a recording on that, so I'm not going to go back and cover all of that. Those were the three words. Everybody got that? Three words, three Greek words, three English words. What are the three words? Justified, redeemed, propitiation. And what do these three words scream at us? It is God's work outside of ourselves, and it's a work of what? It's an external work in this case. God comes along, he's going to justify Bobby. He justifies him by declaring Bobby to be what? Justified, righteous, innocent. Is Bobby righteous, just, or innocent? Everyone should say no, because he is a sinner. How do we know this? You all know Bobby. Number two, the Bible tells us that he's a sinner, right? True? Okay. The second word, redeemed. 
Christ paid a price to redeem him. Christ paid a price to God to redeem him, to buy him back in a sense. And then third, when it comes to this price, Jesus is the propitiation. He satisfied the the holy demands of God. Those three words gives us a, a, a pretty good idea of explaining the doctrine of justification. Yes? Now you would think this should be easy and we should be done, but we have a problem. All right, now I know that's a lot of review, and I wanted to even go further, but, but we'll, we'll move on, right? So that brings us to what verse? Well, we'll read all of 25 because we didn't read all of it. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Please note um, how this righteousness shows up. In verse 21, we talk about the righteousness being manifested. You see in verse 22... We have the righteousness of God that comes by what? By faith, right? Verse 25, we have whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And then look at verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. His righteousness is manifested in the way in which he justifies sinners. He, he still maintains his righteousness, not because he just goes to a sinner and says, hey, you're okay. No, no, no. The entire system manifests his righteousness. How does he manifest his righteousness? By accrediting it to our account, by propitiating the wrath of God, propitiating, uh, satisfying the wrath of God, and redeeming us. But yet, it manifests his righteousness. That, that's been made evident in the passage. All right, now, this brings us to what verse? 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. All right, verse 27 does what? It's explaining justification. Justification has been explained using three words. Everybody got that? Now, what is verse 27 doing? Demonstrating the practical results that should flow from a correct understanding of justification, right? And what is the result? What, what, what's the understanding we should have? What, what should occur? Can you walk around boasting? You can't go around boasting going, I'm better, look how good I am, I'm wonderful, because you didn't do any of the things. In fact, remember, it did not make you more righteous. It did not make you better. You're still unrighteous. You're still a sinner. You just have been declared just and righteous by faith. So, there's no boasting. What else is there not? There's something else that's not present. Where is boasting? What's the answer? It's excluded, right? By what law? What's the implication? No law. No law. There's no law, right? The law doesn't do it. Keeping the law doesn't do it. Or of works. Works doesn't accomplish it. So what is your justification based on? Faith, not on law, not on works, And therefore, there should be no boasting. 
don't go around boasting that you're better than someone else because you're not. Now, maybe, maybe in practice, you may look at their life and I may look at my life, right? I mean, I, you know people, I know people. They may be somewhere this morning, you know, absolutely laying in a, you know, a, a pool of their own vomit because they're a drug addict or they're an alcoholic and you look at them going, man, my life is so much better than them. But I'm inherently no better than them even though practically there's some actions they do that I don't do, but internally I'm a sinner just like them. Does that make sense? Like sometimes we just compare by, well, look what they did and look what I did. Well, okay, yes, you may be better in that instance, but inside you are just a depraved sinner like everyone else. Does that make sense? It's hard to perceive it that way. You've got to look beyond the, the, the external and look at the theological reality. All right, so no boasting, no law, no works. Therefore, see verse 28? Therefore, in other words, based off everything we just said, based off those three very important words, we do what? We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Without the deeds of the law. Now, let's stop right here. This is very important. Now, I'm going to offend a lot of people, but that's okay. There's a lot of people who approach theology in this way, okay? This is very important. If I brought Austin up here and brought Joel up here, right? And we have Austin on one side and Joel on the other, and and I was to present the gospel to them, right? And one of them says, I believe... I trust, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow God, right? And the other is like, nope, don't care. I got better things to do with my life. Some theologies look at that, and let's say Austin made the decision to believe and Joel wanted to remain an apostate, okay, wanted to remain a pagan. Some would look at it, well, aren't we glad that Austin caught on and she believed? Aren't we glad she made that decision? And who would ultimately get the credit? Because some people's theology believe that we possess the ability in and of ourselves to believe. And so all I have to do is try to convince you to believe. And that's why in those churches they use lots of manipulation, right? Let's sing that verse one more time, you know, just as I am 47 times to get you to walk an aisle. Let me tell a sad story. Let me cry a little bit. If I can manipulate you to get, and it's like, it's my, I got to find a way to convince you. That's because you believe that you possess an ability. That means there's almost room for you to boast. But the Bible says, look at Ephesians 2. Yeah, 8 and 9, you know where we're going. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Look carefully at this passage. I know this this is going to make some people mad listening, but that's okay. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved. Everybody says amen to that, right? Through faith, everybody says Man, grace and faith. Every Christian says amen. But here's the thing. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is not of ourselves? The grace and the faith is not of ourselves. What is it? 
It is a gift of God. If God grants the faith, then I can't boast. I can't say, look, I believed. Because it's not my faith. Now, this leads to the uh, inevitable controversy, right? Well, wait a minute. If I'm saved by faith, and God gives me the faith, now what's the obvious question everyone should ask? Oh, come on. If I'm saved by faith, and God gives the faith, the, no, 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 no. What's the question? Come on, it's, it's a massive philosophical one. If I, was to say, if I was to make that statement in a philosophy class, the whole room would explode. Why doesn't he give it to everybody? Right? Right? Well, the, the choosing is how we try to answer why he doesn't. Okay, so that, that raise, And then once you throw in, well, he chooses and he elects, that's when some people lose it. But your option is either you have the ability to believe, and the reason you believed is because you're smarter, you, you care more, you, you were able to catch on, what, or the reason you did is because God granted you faith, and you're like, why me? Now, Either, either everyone has the ability, and if everyone has the ability, then that calls into question depravity. Because either depravity impa- impacts, because what does the Bible say about us? Dead. And trespasses. And says, I posted a little, uh, a little picture of, of what's it, uh, Pelagius throwing out a, a, a little, whatever those things are called, life preserver. And someone's, I guess it's uh, Augustine riding up going, uh, hey, Pelagius, I don't think that's going to work. Because he's throwing out the life preserver. He's like, come on, just grab the life preserver, grab it. And it's a, it's a skeleton, right? Skeletons can't grab the life preserver. They're dead. Right? So, uh, now again, that, that, that causes all kinds of disputes and people get so upset about it. And people, but it's nothing to get upset about because what, it, it, it's just, you've just got to deal with what the scriptures say. Faith is a gift. Not everyone gets it, obviously. Or you believe everyone gets it, and then they have to exercise it, which that doesn't even make any real, real, real sense there. All right, but just make sure you understand that, that that's been a part of, that's what the whole canons of Dort were about. That's what the whole argument with Pelagius was about. We could go back through all that church history, but we can't right now because we're trying to get to one problem. All right? we're trying, that, none of these problems are the problems we're, go, we're, we're working on. But you see, there's no boasting. There's no boasting. You cannot boast. If you're a believer, you can't boast. All right, so that leads us to what? Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. How are you justified? By faith. How are you justified? By faith. Now, I know you can come along and play the game Piper plays and a lot of other people play. Well, you're justified by faith. However... If you're truly justified by faith, you'll do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, then you're not justified. Well, then am I justified by faith or am I justified by the works that faith produces? Everybody see the difference there? Am I justified by faith or am I justified by the works that faith produces? And if faith produces the works, then what am I getting very close to? That justification is an infused righteousness, which I, I cooperate with to produce enough works to therefore justify me. That is what? Roman Catholicism, which shows up in the Protestant world all the time. All right? well, how are we justified? By faith. What's not involved? Deeds of the law. What else is not involved? 
working. What else is not involved? Boasting. <laughs> what else is not involved? Me. All right. Does that make sense? Right. Verse 29. Is he, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Now, why is verse 29 uh, important? This applies to whom? Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. So far, so good. All right, man, we're going to run out of time. I'm going as fast as I can. All right, now verse 30. Remember, write, write down, remember verse 30, because verse 30 is going to come in, uh, at play in chapter 4. All right? Seeing, seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. All right, how are the circumcised going to be saved? How are the uncircumcised going to be saved? What doesn't save them? Circumcision. Right? Circumcision doesn't do it. Because a person can be justified whether they were circumcised or not circumcised. So in other words, there's no religious ritual that's going to do so. Now, some people have replaced circumcision with all kinds of other religious rituals. You got to do this, 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 you got to do this. No! The, the, The ritual has nothing. Because how are you justified? By faith, not by works, not by the law. That's why you can't boast. If it's something you did, you could, you could take credit. If my justification is attached to my baptism, I can take credit because I got baptized. Now, if I was a baby, well, then who would deserve the credit? My parents. But no, it's by faith, by faith, by faith. And baptism as an infant destroys the idea of faith, so then they have to say the faith comes from the parents or the godparents, comes some weird transference, and I'm like, well, if it works that way, why can't I just have faith for Joel? Right, exactly. So that just raises all kinds of problems. Now, this brings us to the question, the whole point of this morning. I know know all of that, but all of that's important to get us here. All right. Up to this point, what has been just... Absolutely, I mean, like, you're probably tired of Paul repeating himself, right? So at this point, what's very clear? I'm justified by faith? So that leaves me to ask, what would be an important question for a good Bible student to ask at this time? What's the point of the law, then? Let's just throw out the law. And a lot of people are going to ask that question to Paul in the book of Romans a number of times, are they not? Because he's going to, he's uh, anticipating that these are the questions that are going to be asked, all right? So let's read verse 31 carefully. All right, here we go. Oh, boy. I don't have a good answer, so I'm just going to go tell you now. I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is here, but we're going to try. Do we then make void the law through faith? Do we then make void the law? How does the NIV translate that? Does it say void? Do we nullify? Do we nullify? Do we make void? In other words, are we saying, hey, forget the law. Doesn't matter. Now, he, Paul's going to make an, a crazy statement here because what he says is, God forbid, that. now, that's typical, Hey, God forbid. No, 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 no. We're not nullifying the law. No, no, no. We're not making the law void. But the next statement is the one I can't wrap my mind around. And I've read, I don't, I've got all kinds of commentaries, and I don't think they do a good job answering it either. So we're going to try to figure it out. Right? Now, make this very clear. What some people believe happens 
is that Paul makes the statement in verse 31, but he doesn't, he doesn't offer a proof till later. Some believe he tries to offer the proof to this in chapter 4. Some believe he tries to offer the proof throughout Romans. Others believe he makes the statement and in chapter 4 he just moves on. Now, we'll have to see. But what is his ultimate? God forbid, we got that. No, no way. But what does he say we do? We establish the law. The NIV? We uphold it. We establish it. Now, wait a minute. Okay, how am I establishing it? How do I uphold it? I, we just said that we're not what? Justified by it. I'm not justified by it, but I establish it. And how do I establish it? Or does the text give us any idea on how we do it? Just stops. All right, well then how do we do so? The text doesn't give us an answer, right? So guess what we have to do? We've got to figure this out. Now, I know what you're saying. I don't come to church to figure things out. I come to church to hear what you figured out. And if you, can't, if you have that mindset, you did what? You came to the wrong church, okay? All right? So, let's, uh, let's see what we can uh, figure out here. Do what? Well, that's the, that's the debate. Some believe... He, he doesn't answer it. Like, this is it. And others believe he, he, he's going to pick this up later on. First, let's read this from a number of translations just to see if, we, if this helps us any. Uh, Stephen read from the uh, New International Version. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Now, that's, the way that's written is kind of interesting because that kind of implies how do we uphold it? By faith. Or at least that's how I, I hear that. All right? Yeah? Okay. New, uh, New Living Translation. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Mm. Now that could make me worried because that could seem to say, hey, you have faith, you'll keep the law. Well, we know, that that, we know that's not true practically. Yes? Because you're all a bunch of lawbreakers. Yes? Everybody say amen. Okay, all right. All right. ESV. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay. But what if we don't? <laughs> right. Okay. That that's a possible way. Well, well, I mean, I mean, put it this way. I'm open to any suggestion at this point, but we'll see. All right. Well, so what what do you think? What can we do to try to figure this out? We, we're we're presented with a, a a textual problem. What can we do to figure it out? We've already done one thing that we can do. We looked at all the translations. Did they really help us much? Not really. They give us some kind of hint that maybe our faith is involved. Maybe. What, so what's the next thing we can do? Okay. Well, we got, we got one big thing that everyone should know that they should be doing right now as I'm speaking. No. The King James says we establish the law. 
No, we've got to know what that word means. Right, right. We need a definition. So look up the word. Establish. That, that's, the, the, that's the King James word. Uphold is the, uh, the other. Histami. Yes, that's the Greek word. Histami. What does it mean? To cause or make to stand. To place, put, or set. All right? That's not helpful, really, right? To make it stand. We don't, nu- we don't nullify it. We don't discard it. We make it stand. How do I make the law stand? What's another way it's used? All right? To make firm, to establish. All right? To abide, okay? Continue safe and sound, stand, uh, unharmed. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not really helpful, right? We establish it, we make it stand, we, we uh, it, it's, uh, I don't really understand what, like, I don't know how to interpret that. We make it stand, we, we, we establish it, we, we, what do we do? Like, I don't understand what I'm doing with this law thing. So what could it mean? Well, let's. Let's do this, all right? That's not, would you agree that's not a lot of help? I still can't really wrap my mind around it, right? Okay, I'm justified without it. I'm justified without it. I'm justified without it. I'm justified without it. Okay, do I nullify it? No, you do not. Rather, you uphold it. You establish it. Okay, how do I uphold it? How do I establish it? All right, well, we've got to work this through. So let's see what the commentaries do. What do you think? You think they're going to be helpful? How many believe they're going to be helpful? To what? They'll, they'll pray. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one thing we probably know. We're probably going to get a lot of different opinions, or we're not going to get any good ones. All right, here we go. Now, this one is interesting because, uh, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to just, I'm just going to read this, and, and you'll kind of see. Sometimes, sometimes it bothers me that instead of really trying to figure out what it means. They don't really, they just kind of act like, oh, there's not a problem. Here's three things it means. And you're kind of like, how did you derive that? Like, help me out here. I, I like to take you through the process. I know that's a different way of teaching, but I like to try to take you through the process. I don't like to just hand you the answer, because if I just hand you the answer, I'm probably handing you an answer I took from a commentary somewhere. <laughs> right? That's what pastors do. I don't like playing that game. So here we go. Let's see. I'm reading from the MacArthur New Testament commentary on Romans. I'm on page 228 of the book for those who may be listening online. Here we go. Do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. The next question Paul knew his readers would ask, do we then nullify the law through faith? If men have never been saved on any other basis than faith in God, they would argue then the law... It, the, then the law not only is useless now, but we, but was always useless. So they would argue that some may argue, well, if we're justified by faith without the law, the law is useless. Now, I don't, that, now, I know that's a question someone may have. I could argue that the law serves a purpose, but okay, let's go. Again, Paul responds with this powerful repudiation. May it never be. A thousand times no is the idea. Now, listen to what they do here. This is weird. The cross of Jesus Christ through 
which justification by faith was made possible, not only does not nullify the law, but confirms it. Now, it's interesting because he goes to, he jumps in with the cross. The cross confirms it. The cross establishes it. But the text, if I'm going to get anything from the text, it's not the cross. It's faith. It's by faith. Now, I understand what he's saying. The cross makes it possible, but the text doesn't use the term cross. It's using, if we read Romans 3.31, the implication, it's, it's got to be by faith that establishes it. But they go with the cross. But let's, let's see what they do here, all right? As far as salvation is concerned, the gospel does not replace the law because the law was never a means of salvation. The law was given to show men the perfect standard of God's righteousness and to show that those standards are impossible to meet in man's own power. The purpose of the law was to drive men to faith in God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declared God's perfect standards to be higher even even than those of the Old Covenant. A person breaks God's law is said not only by killing, but by even hating. Not by committing adultery, but by having lustful thoughts. If it is impossible to fulfill perfectly the Mosaic Law, how much more impossible it is to keep the standard set forth by Christ in his earthly ministry. Now, I agree. The law does nothing but condemn, 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 condemn. We can't keep it. We can't keep it. We can't keep it. We can't keep it. Right? So, this would, can we agree on, can we agree on this? If we can't keep it, no one I know, and there are some groups, but most Christians, no one believes that we can keep it perfectly even after we're saved, then obviously we don't establish it by keeping it. Can we all agree that that can't be what it's talking about? Amen? We don't, we don't establish it by keeping it. You may want to write that down. We don't establish it by keeping it. That's got to be a, that was something we have to agree on. Because if you say, no, 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 I get saved, and then because of faith, now I can keep the law, so therefore I establish it, that means you would have to keep it in what way? Perfectly. And none of you keep it perfectly. All right, I think we can all agree on that. Does that sound good? All right. So, we're still left with a question, right? How do we establish it? Now listen, they're going to give us uh, three, three answers they think they have. The cross, now please note, they go back to the cross. I don't understand why they jumped. I don't really know where that's coming from. The cross establishes or confirms the law in three ways. Now they say the cross establishes it or confirms it in three ways. I, has the word cross even been used up to this point? No, I, I don't know. I don't like bringing in a word that's nowhere in, even in the text. How would I state it? Three ways in which faith establishes it. I think he's just trying to use cross. Well, the cross is, is the way it happens. The, the cross is what Christ did. Faith is my trust and belief in it. I mean, like, I, don't you have to keep them somewhat distinct? I don't know. But let's see what they, they go here, all right? The cross establishes or confirms the law in three ways. Number one, are you ready? It establishes the law by paying the penalty of death, which the law demands for failing to fulfill perfectly and completely its righteous requirements. All right? So they say the cross establishes the law because it 
By, because it, it establishes the law by paying the penalty of death which the law demanded for failing to fulfill perfectly and completely its righteous requirements. When Jesus said he had come not to abolish the law or the prophets but to fulfill them, he was speaking not only of his sinless earthly life but of his sin-bearing death. Oh. Oh. Okay, I'm having a little problem here. I think when Jesus says that, I don't know if he's referring to his death or I think he's referring that he came to keep the law in his life. I remember we got uh, his, his passive and active obedience. Okay. All right. What do we do with this? It seems like he's leaving the idea of faith. And he's saying that we, that we well, it says who establishes the law? No, according to verse 31. We. This is making it the cross. Does that, you see where I'm having a, a difficulty here? Like I pick up this commentary. You know how many pastors would pick this up and this is the way they would preach it and then everybody would be like, amen, 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 amen. Well, wait a minute. That says we. He just made it the cross. The cross establishes the law. Now, let's, let's try to work this in. Is it true that by faith, we trust in what Christ did on the cross? Amen. And what Christ did accomplish on the cross is he did pay the penalty that the law demands, which is death. Yes? So do we establish it in the sense that we put faith in what Christ did? Because by faith, what is reckoned to us? What Christ did. Right? So in other words, we by faith, the law has all these demands, correct? The law demands, 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 demands. By faith, guess what I'm now uh, covered with? The fulfillment of it. Yes? The payment? Fulfilled. Right? Holy demands? Fulfilled, because Christ's righteousness is accredited to my account. God's anger at me breaking it? Propitiated. So wouldn't it be my faith and what Christ did establishes the law because all the law demands are taken care of on my behalf by faith? Yes, the cross is the instrument that accomplishes it, but I establish it by my faith in it. This just removes me from the picture, but the Romans 3.31 says we establish it, correct? Okay, right, so, all right, let's go. So I, I think that's what he's trying to say. It's just weird the way this is written. All right, let's go to number, uh, so what was number one that he said? It establishes the law the cross does by paying the penalty of death. Number two, the cross establishes the law by fulfilling its purpose of driving men to faith in Christ Jesus. All right, uh, so he says the, the, it establishes the law by fulfilling its purpose. I don't know how the cross is establishing the law by fulfilling the purpose of driving men to faith. The, the cross is not driving me there. The law is driving. I don't, I'm so confused by this commentary. He wanted to say the law is doing it, or the, the cross is doing it. That's, the cross, let me read that again. I am so confused. All right. 
The cross establishes the law by fulfilling its purpose of driving men to faith in Christ Jesus. That the cross is not doing that. The law is what drives me there, not the cross. Sometimes I don't understand. This isn't that, do you not believe that's a little confusing? Hey, the cross fulfills the law by fulfilling its purpose by driving men to faith. Well, the cross is not driving me there. What drives me to the cross? The law. <laughs> so I don't, I don't understand. In fact, then they quote these verses. Paul already declared that by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. Amen, amen. I agree. Those, that's uh, Romans 3.20 and James 2.10. And then he quotes uh, Galatians 3.24. The law has become our tutor, Paul told the Galatians, to lead us to Christ that we, may, that we may be justified by faith. Yes, it's the law that's doing that. So how is the cross establishing the purpose of the law? I guess, I, I guess you could say the cross is what the law was designed to point me to, but the, it's, not, it's not establishing the law. It's just the fulfillment of what the law was supposed to do. I, I, don't even I, don't, I don't even understand that. So we could say this. Let me, let me state it. I'm going to take what he says and build on it. So number one, what was, his point, uh, what was his first point? How do we establish the law? He says the cross establishes the law by doing what? Paying the penalty. Yes? And I came along and how did I state it? We fulfill the law by what? Or we establish the law. I shouldn't use the word fulfill. We establish the, the law or uphold the law by this. I put faith in Christ and what's accredited in my account? His righteousness and his keeping of the law. So his keeping of the law becomes my keeping of the law. When I broke the law, he paid the price and get that price is accredited to my account. So now I am covered for the breaking of it. Yes? So it's by faith in what Christ did that fulfills that law. Secondly, when I put faith in Christ, I am upholding the law if we believe, now listen carefully, that the original intent of the law was to show me that I'm a sinner and drive me to God. If that was the original purpose, then by believing, by faith, I'm I'm upholding the purpose of the law. If I don't do that, then I'm missing the purpose of the law. I'm not upholding it. What was the purpose of the law? Was the purpose of the law to drive me to God for salvation? If I believed, then I upheld the law, right? Because I just did what? Fulfill its purpose. But I'm doing that, not the cross. I'm doing that by faith. Now, whose faith? God gives me the faith. Right, okay, everybody got that. All right, then number three. All right, we're almost out of time. The third... The cross establishes the law. Uh-oh. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to lay down. I'm going to lay down and cry. What do you think he's about to say? Here we go. We need dramatic music right now. We need an organ, okay? Hey, hey, we need some dramatic music. Third, okay, there we go. Okay, we need sound effects. I need to go back. Uh, I have sound effects on the computer I can use, I can, I can play right now. Okay, all right. Third, the cross establishes the law by providing believers the potential for fulfilling it. 
For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirements of the law might be filled in us. Now that's quoting Romans 8, 3 through 4. Now he he doesn't explain what that means, but that, that... the potential of fulfilling it? What does that seem to sound like? Hey, you're justified, Sarah. Now you guess what you have the potential to do? Fulfill the law. Oh, now come on. I, no, 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 no. If I have the potential to fulfill it, then why am I not? Either to say that I have the potential means that it is possible that I can do what? I don't believe that. I believe that's complete, utter nonsense. Now, what do I, do I believe that I have, do I believe that God fulfills the law in me? Yes, you know why? Because God's righteousness and Christ's righteousness is accredited to my account. So when I stand before God, guess what he sees? Not a law breaker, a law keeper. Because he sees, not just the blood, the blood of Christ show, it covers my breaking of it, but his active obedience is accredited to my account. So guess what? Jesus kept the law. Bum ba da! I kept the law, not in me, but in Christ. Not in, it gives me the potential to fulfill it. Like who could preach that? And in, in MacArthur must not hang out with his church members. Any of them. He must preach and go live in a monastery because I guarantee you, I've met You have known people who graduated from his school. Right? Their previous pastor. Did he fulfill the law? No, obviously. Well, you know he didn't, and neither did you. Okay, neither do I. I'm not picking on him. I'm saying that anyone who goes to his church, they're out breaking the law all the time. They're sinners. They sin continually. Well, why don't you just say, hey, guys, you now have the potential to fulfill it. Go do it. No one's going to do it because no one possesses said potential. Now, I know that's what Christianity teaches. Hey, you're saved. Now you have this power. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And while we're saying you can do it, marriages fall apart, adultery happens, lying, stealing, go on and on and on and on and on and on, law-breaking, law-breaking, law-breaking. No. If, if, because that, that, that you, and I think Diane just said it, that's almost teaching that I'm infused with a righteousness that now I cooperate with, and if I cooperate with it good enough, then I'll have enough works to prove that I'm saved. That's, that's literally Roman Catholic. Sometimes I wonder, did Protestants actually, does Protestants know that a Reformation happened? Hello? And MacArthur considers himself Reformed. That's not reformed. Reformed is I'm justified by what? Faith. So how do I establish the law? I'm going to argue. Now, I've got, I got, a, I got a number of other commentaries. All right? but, I, but at this point, he's, he's already driven me to the point of insanity, so I can't go on any further, and we're out of time. This is what I'm going to say. You know how you establish the law? By faith. How does that work? Because I put my faith in someone who did what? Fulfilled the law perfectly. Not fulfilled the requirements of the law. Fulfilled the breaking of the law. Fulfilled it all. So the law is established. Now, does this mean that I'm an antinomian? 
and I should just throw out the law? No, 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 no. Because I believe God's moral law still provides what? The moral standard which God wants me to pursue. Which God wants me to live according to. And yes, I seek his help through his word, prayer, fasting, to try to live according to it. But guess what I know going in? Not going to do it perfectly. Never will. And I don't believe I possess said potential to do so. Can you imagine telling people they have the potential? It would be like telling Joel, you have the potential to lift a thousand pounds. Right? And he spends his life going, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I have the potential. Oh, I got up to 200. He's never going to get there. And at some point he's going to be like, my parents were insane. Well, you got pastors saying, hey, everyone, you're now free from the bondage of sin. You can do it. And you, and you don't do it. Ever. Okay, well, maybe you can't do it. <laughs> okay. That leads to a, a lot of uh, d- 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 frustration. Would you agree? So how do we establish it? By faith. How do we establish it? By faith. Yeah. And when I say by faith, it's not just we believe, but we believe in Christ. And in Christ, through propitiation, redemption, and justification, places on us his righteousness, his law-keeping, his obedience, his death, his blood, and it's all taken care of. That's the best I can come up with. Now, I don't know why he jumped to the cross, but man, that last one, and he doesn't go any further. Where it stopped, it stopped. He doesn't give any further explanation. That needs like a couple of more chapters. What do you mean I have the potential of fulfilling it? What does that mean? Either, either I have the potential, if I have the potential, that puts it on whose responsibility? Me. If Christ fulfills it for me, then that's not a potential, it's a done act. And what we typically say is justification is a legal act whereby God declares us to be righteous and just and, and his passes, passive and uh, active obedience is accredited to my account and God sees me as righteous, holy, just, law-keeping, perfect, and I'm great. Even though I'm not. What did Luther say? Saint and sinner at the same time. I'm a saint because of what God did for me. I'm a sinner because of what I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All right, we'll stop there. I hope that was beneficial. I know that was a lot of review. I know it was a lot. I didn't, I'm struggling sometimes with how to handle this, but next week we go to chapter 4 and then we turn to what? Justification illustrated. We've had it explained Now, if you have any questions about my explanation, this is for the people listening online and for anyone present, please, please, please ask the question this week. That's where we, if we need to take a break and answer questions next week, we'll answer questions before we, because once we start and illustrate it, we're not going to be able to go back to have it explained again, all right? We we have to move forward. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to study such a, a difficult passage but I am thankful that we have a, a church that allows to, to question, to challenge, and are willing to be a part of the process of figuring it out and not, not content to just sit here and be a passive listener of me telling them what they should believe. I, I pray that this way of teaching will continue to be a, a blessing here and benefit people online as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...